folks, my name is Maddie B, and you are listening to yet another episode of There's Too Much to Think. Um, I hope y'all are having a wonderful Friday, as I said before, or whenever this comes out, because my partner is going to be editing this, so hopefully it will be edited soon and can come out on the day of recording. I just figure with... um, (laughs) how shitty my audio is and he's currently working on editing stuff for his youtube and uh he decided that um he's gonna help me with this so that's really cool but regardless um as you probably know uh based on the title today i'm going to be talking about the hauntings um that took place on the fox hollow farms um if you want to know more about, you know, the crimes that happened, listen to the episode before this one. Uh, it's called The Crimes of Fox Hollow Farms Part 1. Um, so yeah, uh, I originally wanted to combine this episode, combine the two parts of this, the hauntings and the crimes together, but the crimes took up like seven pages and my voice needed a break and I was getting vocal fry uh, after talking for like 40 minutes. So I decided to split them in two. So this one's much more lighthearted. I'm going to be talking about um, why um, the current owners of the house purchased the home a series of small hauntings that happened in like small instances and um, then I'm gonna be talking about the bigger hauntings that take place and like the naming of the ghosts and so on which if you know anything about ghosts you shouldn't name them but uh, if you live on a house like this one why not you know Um, today my sources are down in the description below but they are by time suck a podcast um and then which he he did a really interesting episode like youtube video on this um that was like two and a half hours long you know did the crime and the haunting so that was really cool and then also the um book called the horrors of Fox Hollow Farm, Unraveling the History and Hauntings of a Serial Killer's Home by Rich uh, Epset and Robert Graves. So with that, let's get into why the Graves decided to purchase the home. All right, so... I'm sure we've all heard of the trope in a horror movie where the new family buys the house that was mysteriously marked down and we think to ourselves, get the hell out of there. I often think along those lines about serial killers' homes, especially if the crimes were committed on the property or in the home. I'm like, no thanks. Um, Like, why would you buy that? Uh, Even if the place wasn't haunted, you're telling me that like you would be able to deal with that kind of creepy, dark energy? not me um well according to the book i mentioned earlier in the graves defense when they first saw the house on the market the 18 acres fox hollow farms you know big old place and has like two horse stables and whatnot um 
they had no idea that it was connected to these crimes, right? So Robert and Vicky and their two young sons were horse people. And being horse people, they needed a lot of land. But in a large city like Indianapolis, um, land like that was hard to come by unless you had a shitload of money. Um, Their house hunting journey started in 2006, where um, six miles from their current home was one of the estate properties in, was one of the last estate properties in Hamilton County and their dream house. It was called Fox Hollow Farm. Even though the asking price was $2.8 million, they they still considered buying the house because of all of its benefits, including 18 acres and the two horse stables, right? Like if the horse stables are already built, why not go for it? So after visiting the home, it was revealed that even even though the house had been had kept up to its name and price, it had been left abandoned for nearly a decade, and it was clear that it needed some touch-ups. Like uh, Graves mentions at one point that there were like a family of raccoons that like lived in there and chat and <laughs> stuff like that. So obviously needed a bit of a touch-up, needed a repainting job, and so on. Um, there was also the matter of the house's past, which they were told about by a realtor friend named Andy. Um, after some heavy consideration, they decided they would pursue the property. Uh, there was a lot of back and forth between them and the current owner as they tried to get it to the lowest amount possible considering the touch-ups the house needed. In 2008, the owner contacted them and admitted they were the only people who had offered anything for the property. So after further negotiations, which Time Suck, the Time Suck podcast mentions... Um, he had got it down to like 900,000 or something like that. Um, I don't know because, uh, I don't know if that's for certain because Robert Graves didn't mention it in the book. So I don't know, but, uh, Time Suck podcast host Dan Cummings suggests that, uh, it was around $900,000. In May 2009, the Graves had moved in. So all was well, you know, they had a series of, you know, short little problems. They found out that they, you know, the piping needed to be fixed. The electricity needed to be fixed. I mean, this house was left alone for nearly a decade and it was clearly like grass had grown and whatnot. But after they had gotten some touch-ups, There was a series of mini experiences that made you think and made you pause. So let's get into that. Okay, so... Here's a series of mini experiences before we get into Joe LeBlanc's experiences. So a couple of months into owning the property, once the two repairs were done, of course, once, not once the two repairs, once the repairs were done, uh, Vicky, the wife, was vacuuming one day and suddenly the vacuum stopped. After checking the outlet, she realized the plug had fallen out, thinking nothing of it, like 
we've all done it before we've all pulled too hard we haven't realized that the vacuum cord can't go any further and so on and so forth she just decides whatever and she plugs it back in right so it's when she starts vacuuming some more down the hallway it just keeps happening and happening and happening so nothing too terrifying sure but something that gave her pause in the moment like at first first time sure coincidence second time coincidence third time hmm, there's something going on so a couple weeks later robert the like the the robert graves the author and the husband was painting the outside of the garage when he heard his wife vicky shouting for him apparently there was somebody in the woods staring at them at first robert wasn't surprised by this as many people still thought the house was abandoned and would come by and check his property even people who knew the house wasn't abandoned would still come on to the property and so on um but still like due to its macabre history like at one point he mentions like in the book he mentions it kind of feels like he's he lives <laughs> um in beverly hills and like you know he's like some hollywood guy um but he calls him looky lose um but he decides you know nothing nothing of it really um and so he's like but i still gotta go and check this out and make sure that like unwelcome people needed to stay off of his property now by the time he got to his wife she was still waiting at the window staring out into the woods this is when she explained to robert that there had been a young man standing in the woods except he had no legs <laughs> so yeah so now now getting into joe leblanc's experiences right about a month um, after they got the house mostly fixed up, a man named Joe LeBlanc moved in. LeBlanc was a friend of Robert's who needed a place to stay. He ended up moving into the apartment that Herb had attached onto the house and built uh, by himself. This is where he ended up staying while Herb and Julie were going through a rough patch. This information wasn't known until after um, Herb's death. Um... The Graves didn't know this and neither did LeBlanc, but um, the Graves did tell Robert, like, hey, or did tell LeBlanc, hey, this is the history of the house, but LeBlanc being in a serious financial situation, again, this is during the recession, he's like, I'm perfectly fine, I'm gonna move in. So the first night that Joe had moved in, he had a, a terrible nightmare. He had a nightmare so vivid that his adrenaline had spiked and he woke up and jumped out of bed and actually ran into the door. In his dream, he was being chased by something through the dark woods on the property. And nearly every night that he was living in the apartment, there would be continuous knocks at 3 a.m. where his normally friendly dog, Fred, would bark and growl at the door. Only for there to be no one there. Uh, hoping against all hope this was just some unseen intruder um, that was merely messing with them, Robert put up security cameras. Uh, night after night, the knocking came, and no one had been seen uh, on those cameras. Later that month, LeBlanc was taking Fred on a walk around the property at night when Fred suddenly started freaking out. Growling, Fred growling, snarling, like hackles raised, 
Fred had bolted off into the woods, right? Ignoring Joe's commands, which um, Robert mentions in the book. This is something that normally wouldn't happen because Fred was trained. Like, he knew when to leave and he knew when not to leave. And (laughs) so this is not okay. So he was ignoring Joe's commands. So Joe decided to take after his dog into the woods, right? This is when LeBlanc noticed a man running through the woods with a look of fear, like plastered on his face. And he was just about to ask if the man needed any help when Joe noticed that the man had no legs. Just like the man Vicky had seen not too long ago. As the months went by, the nightly knocks would get louder and louder until finally Joe had had enough and shouted, according to the um, Time Suck podcast episode, he shouted, quote, who's there? I have a gun, end quote, and the door swung open. Eye to eye, there was a man in front of Joe on the threshold. The young man had looked had a look of terror on his face yet again before the door slammed violently shut, and when Joe went to open the door, the man had vanished. Joe, Robert, and Vicky decided that this was, <laughs> that this time, more than any, was the time to go and research the case. Um, after watching some old footage, Joe recognized one of the missing men. It was the man he had stood in front of that night. However, identifying the ghost man only appeared to make the hauntings worse. One night, shortly after researching the case, Joe had taken a swim in the pool, which, by the way, I wouldn't have done. Um, this case would have probably ruined swimming for me, especially in that specific pool. Like, why would you do that after researching the case? But whatever. Do what you gotta do. It's while he's in the pool and the lights are all, um, and the lights are on when they suddenly flicker off in the room. And almost immediately he feels something grab around his neck and start choking him while trying to simultaneously drag him into the pool. He was able to run away and has not since been in that pool room, which, understandable. Now you're probably wondering, as I am, why in the world would Joe keep staying here? Like I would have booked it at the, after the first night when there was knocking on the door and nobody was there. Uh, well, he had, he had to stay for financial reasons. He had nowhere else to go, even still. I think I'd rather sleep on the streets than this god-awful place. But like, again, it was during the recession. All this kind of stuff was going on. He just had nowhere else to go. So, it's, a no- it's another normal night for Joe when he hears something crash in the kitchen. He rushes in only to find that the knife block next to the sink was empty and all the knives were in the sink. The wall just above the knife block had scratches on it. He claims that they weren't there before. Now he was just seeing tall black figures darting around in the woods. No more like physical like faces and so on. He just saw these dark tall black figures darting around in the woods. And fearing that this was more than ghosts and possibly something demonic. Even though he, he wasn't in the best financial situation, Joe had had enough. After he leaves, the ghostly activities decrease, but that but they do not cease. On to Robert and Vicky. Most 
mostly content with the paranormal activity going on in their property, which I'm like, how? The married couple decided to let a couple ghosts and paranormal investigators onto their properties to see if they would learn anything, uh, any new information. So ghost hunters with Zach Bagans had reported two male voices saying, quote, Herb did it, uh, end quote, and help. Uh, afterwards, Robert invited Rich Epstead to the property, which uh, S-Step, sorry, which is one of the authors of the book that I mentioned earlier. He was also uh, a paranormal investigator. He had gone onto the property twice. Rich believed that Joe might have had some like spooky connection to the other world, and after a relatively slow day of investigation, they decided to test this theory. Almost immediately, the group of investigators had started feeling pokes and prods as soon as Joe got onto the property, as well as, gra- as well as the feeling of grabbing on various parts of the body. After catching an apparition leaving Joe's old closet, aka Herb's o- old closet, um, Rich advised that no one should investigate the property because the ghosts uh, could not move on and they couldn't communicate in any way that would have been useful in moving on so any further investigation um would likely make the make the ghosts upset um and so to not put um robert and vicky in danger they were like hey don't let any more people investigate He also advised that people like Joe, that somehow have a stronger bond to the other world, um, should not be allowed on the property. Robert and Vicky took that advice and the graves still live there to this day. The activity is not as rampant as it was before, but sometimes they still get little reminders. But yeah, that's it. That's all I've got for you guys today. Alright folks, that concludes today's episode of There's Too Much to Thank. Um, I'm sorry for the late delay, I'm now recording the rest of this on Monday, so I know for a fact it did not come out on Friday. Um, But I hope you have a wonderful week, and this next episode that I'm going to be talking about is the Bloody Bender family. So that one's going to be a tough episode, so this is more of a like fun, like still kind of crappy, but you know more of a fun, I suppose, episode before we get into more stuff. Um, I will be talking about, like, less spooky stuff, probably, like, another history thing, um, in not next week's episode, but the week after, just so we can have, like, a bit of fun. Um, but yeah, that is this episode of there's too much to think i hope you enjoyed um please share with your friends family whoever you got to share it with share it online um and yeah maybe if i've got a question down there in the q a portion um please answer it and yeah that's the end but uh bye